So I've gotten some feedback that maybe um, this set of messages is getting a little tiresome for you. Not sorry. (laughs) I don't remember if I mentioned this to you. I'm going to try to sit down because I have such a passion about this that um, I've been told that it feels like I'm yelling at people, like I'm, you know, chastising people. I'm not. I'm so mad at the devil. I'm so mad that that he's been able to infiltrate the church with uh, a gospel that's not the gospel. And please don't see my passion as anger or bitterness or anything other than it's so important. Everything rests on this. I mean, if we don't have this right, then all the rest turns out to be, but Lord, Lord. Until the Lord releases me, I'm not going to stop with this conversation. And, and remember, the conversation is that we've given ourselves to the Lord, that the Lord has commanded us in the Great Commission to share him with the world. And so the process of understanding the gospel and being able to effectively communicate the gospel is really what I'm talking about. Um, if it applies to anybody personally, uh, in your own, you know, thinking about, wow, my own salvation, my own saving relationship with Jesus, you know, nobody shared it with me this way, and it causes you to think, good. If it causes you to have questions, ask them. Seriously, ask them. The answers are all in the book. The book is where we need to get our theology and our doctrine and our conversation from. Some of the reasons why I'm so like about this is the lens that God has given me, that he's having me see this through. We, we had a, a, a board meeting on Friday night and we were talking about this stuff and, and I talked and it, it was, you know, I guess whatever it was. And then Teresa talked and just like when she prayed today, she had tears and somebody said, you know, that's the way I want to hear it. And. And, I, and, and it seems so legal and it's so ugh, the way that you're presenting it. But the reason I'm doing it this way is I'm not giving one quarter of an inch of wiggle room to the fortress. And if it seems like, come on, say it nicer, I can't. Because there's a fortress that's built in the minds of the church. Maybe not yours, but it's there. Trust me, it's there. And as soon as or as long as the fortress is there, then the lens by which we project Jesus isn't the complete truth. And and the reason I'm so unbending on this conversation is any place there's a bend, that's just a place for untruth. So I'm laying out to you just like absolute and concrete, and I'm willing to listen to anybody that wants to talk to me. I, I want to be humble before the Lord. The gospel we give to the world and the gospel we receive for ourselves has to be the gospel. It can't be pretty close but not complete or the gospel plus a little to make it more palatable. It can't be like, you know, I can't take an aspirin unless you put it in honey or whatever your mom used to do when you were a kid. You got to just take the gospel as it is. <laughs> so anyway, listen, here's just a couple things. Why it's, it's, it just, every time I think about maybe I'm wrong, Lord, maybe I need to just soften up a little bit. Here's who I think of. I think of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God created them. They're the first ones. He loved them so much. They were in this beautiful place. And they just did one little slip. 
And they didn't even do it by themselves. They were deceived by the ultimate deceiver, the one whose very nature is to lie, who has no truth in him at all. And it didn't matter to their relationship with God. When they broke covenant with God, they were put out of the garden. And I'm sure it broke God's heart, but go back and read in Genesis what he said. You know what? All this was yours, but now by the sweat of your brow and by fighting with the dirt of the ground, you're going to eat instead of picking it off any tree you want, except the one I asked you not to. And, and think about what they did. It was worse for them than just eating from, it's not like it was just another tree and, and that one you stay away from. That one was the one that held the knowledge of good and evil, such that they might be like God in that way. See, it's like, it's more than that. All of our problems, I think, or much of our problems come from a sense of knowing good and evil. Could you imagine not having any sense for good and evil? I mean, no concept of good and evil, right and wrong, because it just didn't exist. There was just life with God. Maybe that's going to be eternity too. I think about the Galatians. They came through the Apostle Paul, through the true gospel, into a saving relationship with Jesus. Loving him and serving him as Lord, placing their trustful faith in him as Savior. And then somebody says, hey, but you got to be a Jew first. And they're thinking about, okay. So somebody runs a message back to Paul and says, hey, listen, we're thinking about, you know, having a little surgery so that we can really be saved because it turns out the guy told us we can't be a Christian until we're a Jew first. Paul's response, you something Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Don't you know that the minute you add something to Jesus, You have been severed from Christ, which means, right, they had to be in Christ. You can't be severed from someone that you're not in, and you've fallen from grace. It's by grace you are saved through faith. You have fallen from grace. You don't have grace anymore. But hang on a minute, Jesus, through Paul. Come on. Everything else is okay. They just made a mistake. doesn't matter because the gospel is the gospel. What you're brought in and how you're bound in Jesus is the gospel. It's the truth. It's not the truth plus a little surgery. It's not the truth plus you can have the fruit on the tree and be okay. The rich young ruler. Guy comes up to Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to attain eternal life or to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. He says, yeah, I've kept them all since I was young. Jesus says there's something that you're short on. You're deficient in this area. Well, what's that? Take everything you own, sell it. Take the proceeds, give it to the poor, follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. The guy's like, huh? That's too much, Jesus. Jesus says, well, okay, half. Sell half and keep half. Come follow me and you'll have less treasure in heaven, but at least, you know, it'll be good because I understand you got a lot of stuff and it's hard. You know, guess what, rich young ruler? It's easier to drag a camel through the eye of a needle than to get a guy like you into the kingdom. That's not what he said. He said nothing. The guy walked away because it is what it is. See, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. He understood who this guy's God was. And unless you renounce that God, and the only way you can do it is to just get rid of it. Say, I don't own it anymore, so it can't own me. And when the guy turned and went away, Jesus was sad. But he didn't run after him. He didn't offer him a different gospel to get him to say yes. Because then if he would have, he would have said yes to something that doesn't amount to anything. This is a thought that's been in my head. And it's, it's not a nice sounding thought, but it just can't get out of my head. And that is cheap Jesus, cheap church. If we dumb down the gospel to just what feels good to somebody, 
you get a you get a dumbed down church. You don't get a surrendered church. You don't get a church who sees themselves as dead people waiting on their Lord to command them what to do. You invalidate the cross. Yeah, if he didn't die at it and you aren't getting up on it. But maybe even worse than that, cheap Jesus, maybe not church. If we offer somebody cheap Jesus, this but not this, Holy Spirit will take care of this part. Just you, you agree to this part, just, you know, this part, this part. Who the heck wants to die? Come on. Seriously, Holy Spirit will get you there. That isn't, that's not the gospel. He didn't say preach the part that they like. He said preach the gospel to all creation. This, this is why I have such a passion for this. I, I, I've already, I think, done this. I've talked to people. I mean, I can remember telling somebody, welcome to the kingdom. Just told them the terms the best I understood them. But they didn't understand the breadth of the gospel. It's awesome, though. It really is. Okay, so we'll start with Ephesians. Um, well, let me back up a little bit. I talked about a couple weeks ago and then about covenant and terms like that relationship with God for man to have relationship with God is based upon covenant, which God defines covenant has terms. It has um, requirements that must be met in order to have covenant. I told you that in a few weeks we would explore what those terms are. And then last week, um, the Lord impressed upon me that we needed to understand what it meant not to be saved and what it meant to be saved and what actually happens when the terms are met before I present the terms. So that was last week. Now this week, I'm going to start to present the new covenant terms of saving relationship with God. We'll start in Ephesians 2, chapter 8 and 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So at the end of last week's conversation, I, it's by grace through your faith, by his grace through our faith that we're saved, not by ourselves except through faith so that no one would boast. And last week I talked a little bit about what does the grace part of that thing mean. And, and the grace, just to recap quickly, the grace is that God is in no way obligated to offer salvation to us. It's just by grace. He chooses to because that's what he wants to do. It's his grace. Now, grace is like this humongous topic. And, and, and grace is broader than that, but it's that, that he, he offered it because he chose to. You couldn't go to him and say, God, listen, you know, you didn't give me the terms of how our relationship was before I was born. I didn't really understand this whole sin thing. Therefore, you owe me grace because he doesn't owe you grace. He doesn't owe me grace. And everybody is in that boat. Romans teaches us that no one's going to have an excuse before God. What if I never heard the gospel? Somehow it's written in creation and you're accountable to it, according to the scriptures. So grace is that. But then we also saw in the scriptures that spiritual matters are spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned. And what that means is that when, when there's a spiritual matter to be dealt with, for us, the only reason we can understand it is because we have the spirit to appraise it for us, and then make it to be understandable and true. But the carnal mind, the person who doesn't have the spirit, doesn't have the ability to be able to discern spiritual matters, of which salvation is the utmost spiritual matter. 
So how does anybody get saved when they have to be able to understand a spiritual matter, but they don't have the spirit? Grace. There's a special grace that God gives to a person. It's, it's what John chapter 6 calls in two places, the drawing of the father unto the son. So when you're having a conversation, you're sharing the gospel with somebody, and all they want to do is fight with you and tell you that you know the Bible contradicts itself, just stop. Because either the grace isn't there, or they're choosing to resist the grace. There'll be another opportunity. Maybe it'll be you. Maybe it'll be somebody else. Because God is not going to stop drawing them. But the second function of grace as it, as, as it relates to getting saved is that if he didn't put the grace on me, I couldn't have actually even received the gospel. Because it requires spiritual discernment. So that's an anointing that comes on a person when they're hearing the gospel to be able to actually understand it and then respond to it. Okay, so then this week we'll talk about, remember, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That was just a quickie on grace. Now we'll talk, talk, we'll talk about the part that's faith, okay? Um, you'll see in the New Testament that salvation is, uh, is presented with a lot of different words, and it's confusing. If you just read a little or you just heard a little, you would have probably um, an inadequately narrow view of how a person comes to know Jesus in a saving way. Let me give you some scriptures that, that point towards this. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now, after John, being John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you have to make the connection in a couple of places. I'm not going to teach that today, but I'm just asking you, just, just agree with me, just for the sake of today's sermon message, that entering the kingdom of heaven is equal to getting saved. That if Jesus doesn't become king and we don't enter his kingdom, we're not saved. You'll see the contrary to that that says, People that practice such and such and this and the other and that thing will not inherit the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So just make a mental connection that when you see the kingdom of heaven, that's analogous to having gotten saved. Okay? So Jesus places two terms here on receiving this kingdom that's at hand. The first term is repent. The second term is believe. If that's all you ever read, if that's all anybody ever presented to you, you would think the way to get saved is to repent and to believe. But in Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't say believe. He just said repent. So if somebody was preaching to you the narrow gospel and said, hey, listen, Jesus himself said this. If you want the kingdom, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You don't got to believe anything. You just got to repent. But the same Jesus in this gospel said that you had to repent and believe. Is it both? Is it one or the other? What is it? Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Now, when they heard this, this is like the day of Pentecost, right? You know, or Jerusalem has just blown up. The Holy Spirit has dropped like a bomb in the upper room where these guys are at. And all these people that are there for the feast and the festival... They come to where they hear this crazy sound and all these guys that are speaking in other tongues, they're like, they're talking in my language, but they're Galileans. This is, this is kind of that, okay? Oh, I'm still excited. Now, 
when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. See, what's happened now is all of a sudden, uh, the, the apostle Peter has said, listen, you guys, you killed the son of God. Messiah came and you hung him on a cross. And they're like, they got it because the anointing was there, the drawing of the father unto the son. And they're like freaking out. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? See, that's what I want to hear when I'm sharing the gospel. I want somebody to understand it and be drawn to the point where they recognize they're dead and without Jesus Christ. Brother, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, each of you, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's another connection you have to make. If your sins are forgiven, you're saved, right? Your issue is you have sins. If they're forgiven relative to God, you're saved. If you have the Holy Spirit, that's the seal of your salvation. If someone does not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, I don't care what they've done. I don't care what they've prayed. They're not saved. Read Romans chapter 8. This says that if you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you will have your sins forgiven and you'll get the Holy Spirit. He's saying you will be saved. Well, wait a minute. Repent over here. Repent and believe over here. Repent and be baptized over here. Man, I need a notepad. <laughs> Acts 16, verse 30 through 32. This is the jailer. Peter and somebody, I think, are in jail. And the angel comes and the doors swing open. And this, this jailer guy, he's about ready to run himself through because he's done. If they got out, he had not done his job, he's going to die. So he's about to run himself through. That's this guy. After he had brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. See, when I, when I share with people what the Bible says about how you get saved, sometimes they push back on me. They say, No, 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 what about the jailer? All he had to do was believe in the Lord Jesus. He didn't have to be baptized in the name of Jesus like, you know, some other guys had to. He didn't have to do any even repenting. He just had to believe. There's interesting words here. And these similar words are in the Acts chapter 2. And because people will push back on me with the Acts chapter 2 scriptures that I just read to you. Look at what comes next. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house, in his house. They didn't just say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk away. They explained to him what that meant. Acts chapter 11, 17 and 18. This is, I, I think this is Peter after having been in the house of Cornelius, this Gentile centurion guy. It's a cool story. Read it. That's Acts chapter 10. But now he's back with, you know, the rest of the church heads and he's, and he's saying about the Gentiles got saved. And they're like, there's no way. Salvation is only for the Jews. Therefore, if God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift as he gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So Peter said that what Cornelius and his house did was believe. But the guys that heard Peter's testimony said, oh, God granted them repentance. 
So somehow in their believing, according to, you know, like James and John and the rest of the apostle guys, believing must have some association with repentance. But Peter didn't describe it that way. He just said they believed. Go to Romans now, chapter 10. Wait a minute. That was the thought that came in my head, and I couldn't remember what it was. In the Acts 16 scripture, it says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him. If you, Romans chapter 10 is all about salvation. It's in the context of the Jews, but there's only one salvation in Lord Jesus Christ for the Gentile or the Jews. It's not achieved in different ways based upon your heritage. There's one way. And, and, in this conversation about salvation and how it's achieved or accomplished or, or, or received, there's a statement that says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word concerning Christ. So he's not talking about, I need an increase in faith. He's talking about saving faith. The faith that actually brings you into a reconciled relationship with God comes from hearing the word concerning Christ, the word concerning the Lord. So that's what he's saying here. He spoke the word of the Lord to him. This is Paul. Well, Acts is actually not. Acts is um, Luke. But it's the same message. It, it's, it's hearing the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the big picture of that word is about God and creation and mankind and sin and the fall and, and the, the Messiah and, and the, how do we know he's the Messiah? Based upon all the prophecies that he fulfilled and this resurrection. That's the word of the Lord, you know, in two seconds, but it's a big conversation. And then when you connect it to the anointing, you can come to the place of receiving Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Okay, Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Remember, Romans 10 is about salvation. So the disappointment he's speaking of is not saved. Whoever believes in him, him being Jesus, will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and believe. Repent. Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. All that other stuff. Now call on the name of the Lord. When I describe how the Bible presents salvation to somebody, they'll say, no. You're making it too hard. You're making it about works. All you got to do is call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins, Lord Jesus. That sounds like a reasonable call. Did I get saved? I didn't. Stop it. It says right here. I'm having a conversation with myself. Pat, stop it. <laughs> Self. That's Romans chapter 10, 11 through 13. Let me read that to you in a broader context, starting in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Okay, stop here. Paul preaches the word of faith. The word of faith in the saving context, saving faith. This is what I'm preaching. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What happened with 11 through 13? It was defined in 8 and 9. In 8 and 9, he said, this is the word of faith, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So whoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. See, this is where all of those other ones come together. And that's what I'm going to show you from the scripture this morning. Will you put my slide up there, please, John? I've used this slide before, but I've added the scripture to it. And the way I've described this to you is that saving faith, that's, that's what Paul said, saving faith. It's a, it's a platform, if you can imagine, that, that for you to be able to stand on the platform of saving faith, that faith of yours has two legs that hold it up. One leg is confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. The other leg is believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. So if you put the scriptures up here, yeah, yeah, they're small. I just did actually. So if you look at the top, that's actually saving faith. The, the, the combination, the fullness of what gets you into a right relationship with God. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That's the platform. On the left, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that, that you confess your obedience, that you repent, that you surrender your life to him, and on the right side, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, which is faithful trust. It's believing in Jesus, knowing who he is, believing in him, and trusting. I'll explain propitiary next week. But that, that he's, he's the offering unto God for your sin and that it's sufficient that there's no surgery, there's no good works, there's no nothing that's required but your sincere confession and your sincere trust, faith, believing in Jesus that he as the sacrificial offering for your sin was absolutely sufficient. You will be saved. Saving faith, to actually be saving faith has Two pillars that were required to hold it up. Jesus says the confessed Lord of your life and Jesus, your trust in Jesus as the full payment for your sin debt to God. That's it. What about works? What about doing good stuff? That's not it. But you said Jesus has got to be the Lord of my life. He does. Confessed in your heart. What if I make a mistake and he's not Lord one day? Is he Lord in your heart and you screwed up or did you never really mean it? No, he's Lord of my heart. I feel bad when I screw up. Don't worry about it. God's not measuring our behavior. He's measuring our hearts. It's in the scripture too. God measures a man by his heart. But what about, you know, I'm supposed to do stuff. You are. You were created for good works in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Faith up there on top without works is dead. Because your faith didn't confess Jesus sincerely as Lord. If it had, there would be works. So the works are what I have to do to be saved. No, it's confusing. You don't work unto salvation. As a matter of fact, the minute you start, you think you work to salvation. You're like the guy getting the surgery. You don't work unto salvation. 
work is a fruit of, I said, Jesus is Lord of my life. Lord, what would you have me do? That's all. Yeah, it's a love. Yeah, Teresa does the love relationship way better than me. That's it. It's started, it's finished, it's done. That's it. Every other part that's a part of it. This is where it comes together in one place in the New Testament. Now, the part on the right I'm going to talk about next week. Most people don't struggle with that so much. The part on the left, if there's going to be a struggle, if someone's going to argue with me, it's always going to be on the left-hand side there. I want to show you from the scriptures, demonstrate to you that 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 is a requirement. He just said it is. But I'll show you how that requirement is manifested in other scriptures so that we can use the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. Amen? Okay. I'm just trying to figure out how far I went in my notes without looking at them here. (laughs) Ah, the Greek word behind Lord, right? Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, right? So some people, I used to think that, that Lord meant God, that I was confessing his deity, that he was actually God, that I believed in him as God. But the Greek word, Behind that is, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, kurios, or K-U-R-I-O-S is, is the way it's written in English. Here's the definition. He, so Lord, Jesus in this case with us, is he to whom a person or thing belongs. He owns me. I'm his possession if he's Lord. I recognize him as Lord when I believe that I belong to him. Okay. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power over deciding. He, he gets to decide over me. I have no will of my own contrary to his will because he's Lord. Master or Lord, other ways. Um, the possessor and disposer of a thing or me. He possesses me, he can dispose of. He can use me any way that he chooses if he's Lord. The owner, one who has control of the person, the master. That's what the word Lord, curios, when you see it, curios, that's what it means. Okay, oopsie, sorry. I told you what it means to confess. I told you what it doesn't mean to confess Jesus Lord. It doesn't mean that you're bound by works to be saved. Now, I was having this conversation with somebody one time and they were struggling with it. And they said, what about Billy Graham? Is this what Billy Graham preaches? And I'm like, dang, you know, I surely don't want to be outside of Billy Graham's understanding because I would have a hard time going toe to toe with Billy Graham. That would be tough, right? I said, I don't know. I never heard Billy Graham preach. I thought I'm talking about the gospel, I should hear what Billy Graham's got to say. So I literally went on YouTube and I dug up some Billy Graham. I think the very first one I found, this was in there. Can you play that um, video for me, John? Because when you come to Jesus Christ, you not only accept him as Savior, but you accept him as Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He must be Lord of your eyes, Lord of your ears, Lord of your tongue, Lord of your hands, Lord of your feet. Lord of your pocketbook, Lord of your bank account, Lord of your family. He's first in every area of your life. Is he in yours? So suffice it to say, I felt pretty good about that. (laughs) 
I sat down with my wife, and we were having this conversation, and she's like, Pat, I'm not trying to argue with you, but how come I don't hear anybody else saying this? From the time of Jesus until now, you're the only one? I'm like, no, no, there's two, me and the Apostle Paul. We both get it. I don't know about anybody else. Now I know there's three. There's me, the Apostle Paul, and Billy Graham, and that's pretty good company right there. Okay. I think so, too, because it's the truth. Okay, so now, two things that I want you to do. I, I, I asked you to make some connections and just trust them for me today. Um, I'll make two more connections. That lordship and repentance are synonymous, right? So um, let's say that I have a problem with telling lies, and I confess Jesus as Lord, and Jesus makes me aware that lying is against his will. I would repent if he's Lord, right? And if I'm not repenting, I would cry out to him because, Lord, I've given my life to you, but I'm not still lying, Lord. Help me, please. And I would cry out for the grace to be able to keep my tongue pure. So anything that is repentance is by definition under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because your will is submitted to his will. Therefore, as you learn of those things that are not submitted to him as Lord, you would repent and bring those under his lordship. So repentance and lordship, you have to see them as synonymous. The second one I want you to see, and and this one might be a little bit tougher to swallow, is Lord and disciple or saved and disciple. Nowhere are we commanded to make converts, to go out and get people to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and be done. We're only commanded to make disciples. Jesus speaks strongly about disciples. So maybe somebody could show me in the scriptures that you can be saved, but choose not to be a disciple. They'd have to do an excellent job. I don't think it's possible. I think if you've committed to salvation, but you choose not to be a disciple, you didn't really commit to salvation. So just for my purposes today, just in your own mind, you don't have to agree with it forever, but just for right now, just kind of connect disciple and salvation. Okay? Amen. Okay. So now let's look at some scriptures that would, that would just like believe, be baptized, call on the name that would imply the right-hand side of that thing. Let's look at some scriptures that on their own imply the left-hand side. Turn uh, with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Remember, if you get the Holy Spirit, you're saved, right? You're born again. All right. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Lordship and obedience, bam. Same deal. Okay, Hebrews 5, 9, speaking of Jesus. And having been made perfect, he, Jesus, became to all those who obey him the source of what? Eternal salvation. Wait a minute. No, he said, I only have to believe over here. Well, I'm telling you, you only got to obey over here. Let's arm wrestle and see who's right. Neither of us are right. Both of us are right half. Together, we're right whole. Who obey him the source of, you can't, Argue with eternal salvation. I mean, that's the deal right there. Okay, now Paul speaking about his ministry. He says about himself, solemnly, oh, I'm sorry, Acts 20, 21. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He actually hits both of them. 
faith, trusting in Jesus as the full payment for your sin debt to God and repentance towards God, everything that's outside of his will, you would repent from by your sincere confession. Mark 8, 34 and 35. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, now this is Jesus speaking, anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus, he, that person that wishes to come after him to be a disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here's where you make a strong connection between salvation and disciple. Jesus says, if you want to keep your life, that which you don't repent of, that which you keep for yourself, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to make my own decisions. <laughs> I had that conversation with somebody that didn't want to have Jesus. I'm not, I'm not interested in having somebody make my decisions for me. That's keeping your life. If you give your life away, who makes the decisions for you? Your Lord does. No, if you keep your life, Satan is helping you with your decisions. But if you give your life to Jesus, then you, you say, hey, you make my decisions. Every fork in the road, tell me which way to go. And so here he's saying that if you want to have life, eternal life in him, you can't keep your old life. Your life must be given to him. You've got to die to yourself and live to him. You must repent from anything that you would consider yours that isn't what he desires for your life because you've confessed him as Lord to get to that spot. Okay, only like 40 more scriptures and we'll be done. First Corinthians chapter... <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, that, that whacked out church at Corinth. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? If the Holy Spirit is in you, he's speaking to saved people. Okay. Of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Paul says, hey, listen, you, you made this arrangement with God. He sealed it with his spirit. You're no longer your own. You don't belong to you. You sold yourself for a price. Well, I don't remember doing that. Yeah, let me give you a shot of the cross. Let me give you a shot of the flogging and the perfect life. That was the payment. The shed blood of Jesus was the payment for us to be able to have life. Therefore, life, ours, isn't our own anymore. That's what Paul is trying to explain here in 1 Corinthians. Romans 6.22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. You've been freed from sin because you were enslaved to God. I mean, kind of a weird way to look at it, but that's confessing Jesus as Lord over your life is you've become his slave. Now, it's a great way to be a slave, right? Because he has nothing but perfect intentions for our lives, but we're enslaved to God. Last one. Romans 14, verses 7 through 9. Christians, this is us. For none of us lives for himself. I do not live for me. And not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So 
Take Romans 10, 9, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the lordship of Jesus. Just take it away. And just like you can see all these scriptures that would imply that all you have to do is believe, can you see all the scriptures that imply that all you have to do is die to yourself to come under the lordship of Jesus as a slave does to his master? See, the the devil doesn't want us to remember those. Those aren't the warm and fuzzy ones unless you really know Jesus, in which case you find out they're the warmest and the fuzziest because he's guiding us through life to protect us and to prepare us and to bring us into his very own image. Okay. Two requirements of saving faith. Only the first one we talked about in depth today, to give our lives. When somebody says, are you ready to give your life to the Lord? This is what it means, right? That's why I think we have to be careful about a cheap conversation. Hey, are you ready to give your life to the Lord? Yeah, sure. I get to go to heaven. I don't got to go to hell. Yeah, okay, good. And then watch the life afterwards. It's not a given life because it wasn't understood well. We need to explain what it means to be a disciple, to, to be required to die to ourselves. So first requirement, we, we give our lives to the Lord. And if you hear that as a works-based salvation message, you're not understanding what I'm trying to say or what the scriptures are trying to say. It's not by works. It should lead to works. But it, it can't. It literally can't be achieved by works. It's a gift. It's a gift with conditions, though. You've got to open the gift. Then the Romans 10.9 is how you get that, that gift open. So looking at the lordship of Jesus and the Great Commission, if, if we meant what we said, Jesus is Lord, then our life is not our own, and there is no option to sharing the gospel because that's the command, right? And we're obligated to share the gospel, not the happy gospel or the the mean gospel or anything but the gospel, the truth of how a person in our ministry of reconciliation becomes reconciled unto God. Don't forget Wednesday night. I, I, I praise God for you, John, because when I preached one of these a few weeks ago, he called me up. He said, man, it ain't working. I'm just not, it doesn't, it's just not resonating with me. I think is the word that you said. We came on Wednesday and we, and we, broke open the scriptures and we expanded and we talked about them. And I think it helped, right? Yeah. That's what we got to do. We can't just walk away and say, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, if I hear that from 10 other guys, it'll be true. If you don't want to talk to me about it, I tell you, you can always have my notes. All you got to do is just ask me. I'll send them to you. And you can look through the scriptures and you can go and you can read them in the broader context. Remember Romans 10, 11 through 13 gets preached all the time, but the context is eight, nine, and 10. Come on Wednesday and let's talk more. Now, I told Ashley I would share a testimony with you guys. And the reason I wanted to do it now is that it's, it, it's, it's connected to this message. So, you know, Ashley's been our daughter for almost a year, but she hasn't been our daughter. In our hearts, I think she's been our daughter. In her heart, she hasn't. For the longest time, she's had, she, you know, she would dip her foot in Brady and her other leg is buried in concrete in Ukraine. I don't know, maybe three days ago. I'm sitting at my desk. I'm studying. I'm, I'm preparing for today. And Ashley walks in, and she sits at the end of our bed because all my office rooms are bedrooms for girls now. Praise God. 
So the only bedroom that can be my office is ours. And she's talking to me. And as she's talking to me, I don't know how to describe this spiritual thing that happened. I just looked at her and I said, Ashley, yes, daddy, your daughter. She said, huh? I said, Ashley, your daughter, you're you're actually daughter now. Daddy, what? I said, honey, I can see your heart. I mean, I could see her heart. You have given yourself to be daughter. And, and it's been hard for her because we've had these knock them down, drag them outs. It's like, she, I, if I could tell you how many times we've heard, I will not. I was like, yes, you will. <laughs> no. I said, Ashley, remember in Ukraine, the first time when we talked, what did I tell you? No boys. I will not. She comes into my office one time and we were taught she had a boy, right? She found a boy. She's in love with this boy. He's in love with her. He's the only one that understands her. He, he, he talks to her in a way she needs it because she's been so abused, right? I'm like, you can't have a boyfriend. Yes, I can. I'm like, no, you can't. She walks away. Hour later, she comes down. I hear the knock on the door in the bedroom. I'm at my desk. She comes in. She says, Daddy, I've been thinking. I said, well, good. I've made a decision. I said, what's your decision? She said, I'm going to do what you and Mommy say. I'm like, awesome. Unless what you say is different than what I think is good for me, then I'm going to do what I think is good for me. I said, Ashley, that ain't going to work. It's just not going to work. Life is going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable and we're going to be miserable because you can't do what you want outside of mine and mom's will. You just can't. Seems harsh, doesn't it? That's what God is telling us. Here's how it works. (laughs) A little while later, she's a little angry. Daddy, I don't have a boy anymore. I'm like, good. What do you mean? She said, I told him, I have to choose him or family. I choose family. The cement is getting a little softer over here. This one's kind of being planted a little deeper. These are just a couple examples. There's been a ton. That's why it's been so glorious. The other day, she comes home from school, right? And she's like, Daddy, I want to go to Sadie Hawkins dance. I'm like, ooh, I don't like dance to begin with. I mean, forgive me, but I surely don't like Sadie Hawkins because that's her asking a boy to go on a date with her. She's not allowed to date. I'm like, well, honey, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. You can't go by yourself with a boy. You got to be with a group. I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, be a little bit. Eh. She can't find a boy to go with her. <laughs> <laughs> She can't find a boy to go with her. I said, sweetheart, listen, if you don't go to the Sadie Hawkins thing, daddy will take you on a date. Okay. But I said, I'll call Pastor Jason at the Freedom Center. He's got to know one or two boys that, you know, I would be okay with. I'll ask him if he knows somebody that might, you like to ask him to the Sadie dance. She gets home from school that day. Don't you tell her I said this. Daddy, you find me a boy? <laughs> I'm like, no, honey, I didn't find you a boy. I don't know what caused me to do this because I have like three left feet when it comes to dancing, but she was in the kitchen and she was cooking. I think she was cooking for you guys, Jim. And I went and I grabbed her shoulder and I turned her around and I, I, hug, I hug them all the time, right? I pulled her to me to get a hug, but I wasn't hugging. I was dancing. As soon as she realized that we were dancing, she slammed her head on my shoulder. I mean, it was like, it was glory for me, but then I had this terrifying thought that if I wasn't me, that's some boy. <laughs> she said, 
Daddy, I don't go to the dance. I go on a date with you. Yesterday, Teresa took him to the store. She came home with a beautiful blue dress that she wants to wear on our date. The glory is that she hadn't chosen to be daughter. And we didn't, I mean much. (laughs) Teresa never did. I'm a little squishy around the edges when it comes to this stuff. But we didn't change the standard to being daughter. Because all that, I mean, I'm getting so much revelation about heaven. It's like, why can't God just accept us this way? It stops being heaven then. Our home is a certain way because of our relationship with Jesus. If we introduce compromise, it's not our home anymore. It becomes different. And Ashley had to decide whether or not she wanted to be. She's told us 100 times. When I'm 18, she's like, she asked me. Oh, I'm not telling you the tattoo story. I probably already did. All these different things, you know. Well, you can do, when you're 18, sweetheart, you can do whatever you want, but not here. If you want to live here, I don't care if you're 18 or or 50, there's standards that you have to live by. But out there, you can do what you want. How many times? When I'm 18, I'm going back to Ukraine. I'm not staying here. I'm this, I'm that. Because she had never actually confessed with her heart, Daddy is Lord, and believed in her heart. Mommy was raised from the dead. However you want to look at that, she, she hadn't chosen. It's funny, but it's not. It's so beautiful. She hadn't chosen to be a daughter. And if people are going to be offered entrance into God's family, it ought to be by the way they can actually get in. And then when they say yes, then they've chosen his holiness, the best that they can get it. Yes. And they've said, oh my gosh, there is no way to live except for your Lord. Because every time I would choose a fork in the road different than where you'd have me to go, I get in trouble. Bad stuff happens. That's the point of the passion. It's so important that we embrace the gospel. At at some point, when, when I understand it better to be able to preach it, I'm going to talk about brokenness. How important it is in the process of receiving the gospel to understand to the point of brokenness. Ashley had to be broken. She had to stumble over the stumbling block. She she had to be broken of herself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Us just to do the adoptions even. But the point is, she had to decide. And I could see it. I mean, I was just like I could see her heart. I'm like, Ashley. You're our daughter now. You've chosen. And she said to me, oh, daddy, I don't miss my grandma. I don't miss my life. I don't hardly think about Ukraine. She said, I miss my brother a little. <laughs> anyway, it's a beautiful story. It really is. And it's, it's glorious despite, you know, it's challenging. You don't get to see that glory unless you go through some stuff, you know. Yeah. All right. I'm done. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and truth. Lord, I just pray that in me and anybody else here, Lord, or anybody that might hear this, that you bind up any spirit of offense, that that only motive would be humble sincerity to what we see to be the truth, that we can disagree in love and you will bring us by your Holy Spirit to the truth and that, Lord, we will be broken unto our confession of your lordship and we will be your hands and your feet and your voice to the lost world that they might come to know you in a saving way as a blessing over everybody here 
one last time for absolute divine health in the White family. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.